Good evening and welcome to this week's Rashi Shia coming to you from the Mizrahi Bet Midrash in Melbourne, Australia. And we are continuing with Perak Dalad of Bereshit Pasuk Kaf Bet. But just a little refresh because it's going to be relevant for what's coming next. We've suddenly gone into detail about a particular descendant of Cain called Lemech, who had two wives, Ada and Tzila. And Ada and Tzila had various children. In Pasuk uh, Kaf, Ada had Yoval. And then in Pasuk Kaf Aleph, she had Yuval. Interestingly, similar names. And then in Pasuk Kaf Bet, Tzila has children. And she has Tuval Kain. And she also has Nama. And Tuval Kain is described as Lotesh Kol Choresh Nechoshet Ubarzel. And Rashi says Lotesh means to sharpen, and he brings a Pasuk from Eov to confirm that. And then he says, so this is towards the sort of uh, last third, no, sorry, uh, just after halfway through Rashi's comment on Kafbet. He gives us a piece of grammar, and he's interested in the grammatical form of the word Choresh. And he says, so after the quote from Eov, Choresh, Eino Loshon Poel, Eila Loshon Poel. I, I'm trying to stress the different vowelization as much as I can. And what that means is it is not a noun, but it is a participle. Now, the thing is this, that in Hebrew, there's not much distinction between the two. Anikotev means I am writing, and it also means I am a writer. I am writing is a participle. I am a writer is a noun. Rashi says we know that Choresh is not a noun. It doesn't mean um, that Tuvar Kain was the sharpener of all formed things of um, copper and iron. So I should have translated. Kain is, Tuvar Kain is Lotesh, the sharpener, Kol Choresh Nechoshet Ubarzel. Now there's really two ways of reading it, but Rashi says only one is correct. You could read Choresh as a noun. So it means he's the sharpener of all formed things made out of copper and iron. But Rashi says it's not a noun, it's a participle. So Tuval Kain was the sharpener of all those who shape or who form, that's the participle, who are forming vessels out of copper and iron. There's not a great difference as far as I can see, but Rashi's telling you what the grammar is. Now, he proves according to grammatical rules, why it is a participle and not a noun. Because he says, Shaharei nakud kamatz katan. It's got the vowel under the resh of what he calls a kamatz katan, that we call a tzere. V'tamo lamata. And the accent comes on the second syllable rather than the first. There is a mercha, as those who know how to lay and call it, under the resh, which means you emphasize the second syllable of choresh, not the first. So it's choresh, and it's a tzeri under the resh, and this tells you that it's a participle. Kurama, so that means that who was Tavokain? What was he doing? Machadet umetzatzeach kol keli emunot nachoshet ubarzo. He was sharpening and he was polishing all vessels made by uh, the craftsmen of uh, copper and iron. Now, I am very, very nervous about saying that this Rashi is just giving you the grammar and that there isn't some hidden meaning behind this grammatical point. But I think I'm going to say it. I think I'm going to say 
um, with trepidation, but this Rashi is just telling you the grammar and there isn't a deeper meaning behind the grammatical point. Maybe there is that I haven't come across or I couldn't fathom for myself. Then we already saw the last Rashi about Nama. Rashi says, He ishto shall Noach. She is the wife of Noach. So in next week's parasha, in the parasha after this one, i.e. parasha Noach, <coughs> we know about Noach, and his wife is mentioned quite a few times as going into the Teva and out the Teva with him. And now we're told her name. Her name is Nama. They're very, we talked about this last week, but it sort of, it, just very briefly, it explains why we get this special mention. Because people who are not crucial to the story are rarely mentioned. And I must say, um, a little bit nervously, that women are rarely mentioned. So when a woman is mentioned, and for no apparent reason, there must be some significance to her. So Rashi tells us what that significance is. Just by the way, so it's, Rashi doesn't explicitly make this point, but it's worth pointing out that Adam and Chava had three children, well, three sons whom we know about, uh, who had descendants. Well, Hevel was the first, but he didn't have any descendants because he was killed by Cain. And the third one was Shet, whom we're going to learn about soon. And Shet has generations after generations and comes down to Noah. Meanwhile, what happens to the descendants of Cain? Well, they all disappear. And we learn, the story we're about to learn has got some references to them disappearing. And they all disappear in the flood. And we're all descended from Adam and Chava's third son, who is Shet. No, not quite true. Because Nama is a descendant of Cain, and she is the wife of Noah. And she is the mother, therefore, of Shem, Ham, and Yafet, i.e. of all of humanity. So it's just interesting that based on this comment of Rashi, that all of humanity who are descended from Noach and Mrs. Noach actually carry on the gene pool of both Shet and Cain. Interesting fun fact. Okay, now we're going to go on. And the next three Pesukim, Rashi has a lot of Midrashic uh, background to explain them. Uh, the first two really need explanation. The third one, as you will see, Rashi says is the continuation of the same story. I think it's probably worth reading all three before we hit the Rashi. Because, as I say, Rashi sees them as one continuum. And um, the, the mystery in interpreting certainly Kaf Gimel and Kaf Dalet is why Rashi needs to give a whole explanation. And to complicate things, Rashi gives two explanations, as we will see. So, Pasuk Kaf Gimel. Vayomer Lemech Lenashav. Lemech said to his wives, Ada Vatsila Shama'an Koli. Adan and Silla, listen to my voice. Neshe Lemech Ha'azena Imrati. The wives of Lemech give ear to my saying. By the way, we've gone into a structure which occurs from time to time in the Chumash of poetry. Um, in yesterday's parsha, which was Balak, um, for those in, outside of Israel, there we, the, um, when Bollock started prophesying and he tried to curse and he actually blessed, he went into a certain particular style, um, a style of psukim, which is often found in Tehillim and other places. There's parallelism, um, there's apparent repetition. It's part of the style. And you can see here, um, there's a very clear parallelism. First of all, he says, Adav Vatsila Shaman Koli. And then he says, Neshei Lemech, Ha'azena imrati, which is basically the same thing. And he says it doubled. Now, that doesn't mean there's no reason for, there's no meaning in the extra words, but basically they're saying the same thing twice. That's the style of poetry. 
And he continues with this, what he wants to say to his wives, having told them to listen to him. He says, Ki ish haragti lefitzi v'yeled lachabrurati. Now the key ish, um, the key particular we're going to need Rashi for, but something like, if or is it that I have killed a man, lefitzi, to my um, uh, wounding, v'yeled and a child, Lachaburati for my bruising, and then he goes on in Pasuk Kafdalat, Ki Shivatayim Yukam Kain, because Kain was avenged after, or Kain received his vengeance after seven generations. That's how Rashi explained Pasuk Tetvav, which you might remember um, was hard to understand, and Rashi had a long explanation in order to explain that when Hashem said. Kol Hore Kain Shivatayim Yukam. That meant after seven generations, Kain will get the vengeance from Hevel, i.e., Kain will die. So now Lemech says, Ki Shivatayim Yukam Kain. Kain will get his vengeance, or he will suffer the vengeance of Hevel after seven generations. Velemech Shivim Veshiva. And Lemech after 77. Now, if this isn't clear, it's fine then uh, I'm doing a good job because it's not clear until Rashi comes along. And then Kav is not so complicated to understand, but as I've told you, Rashi explains it as a continuation of Kav Gimel and Kav Dalet. So we're going to read Kav as well. Vayeda Adam od et ishto. Adam uh, was intimate again with his wife. Vteled ben, and she bore a son. Vtikra et shamo sheit, and she called his name sheit. Ki shat li elokim zera acher tachat hevel. Because, she said, Hashem has provided me with seed other instead of hevel. Ki harogo kain. Because kain killed him. So they, Adam and Chava have a third child called Shet. And in the next passage, Shet has a child. And then, well, we'll see what happens later. So Rashi has a big job. Rashi has to explain what's going on in Kaf Gimel and Kaf Dalet. And he has to explain because it's very, very unclear. What is Lemech talking about? What does he mean? So Rashi brings a Midrash which answers all this. And by the way, this Midrash also fits in with what Rashi promised in Pasuk Tetvav that Kain was going to meet his end after seven generations. And last week we counted and we found that Lemech was six generations after Cain. Lemech now has children, which means the children after the seven generations. So Rashi here has to match up with Rashi there, and Rashi there has to match up with Rashi here. It's all part of one holistic unit where, it, through Rashi's eyes, it all fits together. So let's look at Rashi on Kaf Kimo. Shiman Koli. Lemech says, listen to my voice. And says Rashi, now, this is based on a Midrash, but it's all like new stuff, which... We will discuss, is it inherent in the Pasuk? But it seems not to be. Shahayu nashav parashat mimeno mitashmish. His wives separated from him from sexual relations. They, they went on a strike. And he is trying to persuade them otherwise. Now, why did they go on strike? Now, sorry, I should say at this point, where, what's the clue in the Pasuk that this is Lemach's concern? So perhaps the answer is he calls them Nashe Lemech, the wives of Lemech. 
Why does the Torah say that he says that he stresses not just their names, Ada and Tzila, but also that they are wives out of Lemech? And the answer is because he's trying to persuade them to be more wifely, because they were not being wifely. They were refusing to have relations with him. That's what Rashi says. Now, why? Lefi shaharag et kain, because he killed kain ve'et tuval kain beno, and tuval kain, Lemech's own son. How now? So it's very good. Sorry, it doesn't sound good, but it's very good that he killed kain because that fits in with what Rashi said was going to happen to kain. So according to Rashi, Hashem promised that Cain would meet his end after seven generations, and hey presto, that's what happens according to Rashi's explanation of what's going on here. So he kills Cain, and he also kills Tuval Cain, who is his son, and that explains why his wives were upset with him. Now, why did he kill Cain, and why did he kill Tuval Cain? Continues the story. Shahaya Lemech Sumer. Sumer. Lemech was blind. And Tuval Kain led him. He, he walked around holding his hand, drawing him around. And he saw, so the only one seeing is Tuval Kain, saw Kain, the Nidmelo Kachaya, and he appeared to him like an animal. In other words, he saw Kain in the distance. Tuval Kain is walking around with his blind father, and he sees in the distance what he thinks is an animal. And he said to his father, to draw the bow, in other words, to fire an arrow. And Lemech fired the arrow, and it killed Cain. And when he knew that it was Cain, his own ancestor, he clapped palm to palm, and he uh, applied pressure to his son between his hands, Vahargo, and killed him. What terribly bad luck. So Lemech um, uh, mistakenly kills his own four greats-grandfather, three greats-grandfather, uh, Kain. And then, to compound the tragedy, he accidentally kills his son, Tubal Kain. That is the Midrash that Rashi quotes to explain why his wives had separated from him, which explains why Lemech had to say to them some sort of pleading. And the pleading was, Ki ish So he continues, where Rashi goes on. Sorry, at this point, is Cain, oh, <clears throat> is Cain alive or dead? Dead. Lemech just killed him. Okay. So, but where does that? How does that read out of the sukkim? It's coming. I mean, it doesn't. The, the bit about killing kind is not here. No, what we've read so I'm far. But it, Russia it, infers that from something. Yes, it refers to what's yeah. coming very soon. Okay. Okay. But continues Rashi. And his wife separated from him. And he is trying to appease them. And now this explains the words which he says. Shaman koli. Listen to my voice. In other words, to uh, listen to what I'm demanding in terms of sexual relations. And then he says, and this is going to answer your question, Josh. Where does Rashi get this idea about the death of Cain and Tuval Cain from? And what do these next words mean? These next words. 
So Rashi is actually the word, the word asher to make it read better. The, the original Basak says, ki ish haragti lepitzi. So Rashi understands that as, kai, sorry, Lemech is asking a rhetorical question. Lepitzi hu neherag, by my wounding was he killed? In other words, well, it, says, it continues Rashi. V'chi ani patsativ mezit, did I uh, wound him deliberately, that the wounding should be called by my name? It's a rhetorical question implying the answer no. And so this is uh, Have I killed a man to my wounding that it's ascribed to me as if I was totally responsible? And then the yeled asher haragti, and the boy whom I killed, again, as a question mark, was he killed through my bruising? As to say, through the means of my bruising. Bitmia, this is a question. So again, Rashi is translating he as, is it so? And he's asking a question and he's confirming, he's expecting the answer no. And ish haragti lepitzi means I killed a man deliberately through my wounding, but I didn't. And did I kill a boy deliberately for my bruising? No, I didn't. So back to the Rashi on the words bitmia. It's a question. Surely I am accidental and not deliberate. This is not my wounding. This is not my bruising. So, what have we done? Well, the main thing we've done is made the whole thing make sense. Because without this Rashi, these words simply doesn't make sense. What on earth is Lemech talking about? Man, killed, bruised, wounds. What's it all about? So Rashi explains that Lemech is saying, look, the man that I killed, it wasn't deliberate. The boy that I killed, it wasn't deliberate. Therefore, you shouldn't be cross with me. Therefore, you should come back to how we were before. Um, and so Rashi has to find who is this man whom he's referring to killing, who is this boy who's referring to killing, hence the story of Cain being killed and Tuval Cain being killed. And just one last thing on this Pasuk, what's the difference between Pitzi and Chaburoti? Says Rashi, Pitzi, Makat Cherev or Chetz. It's a blow with a sword or an arrow. And then he quotes a word in French, Nevredura. Um, which means something to do with smiting. Those who are using an art scroll translation, uh, it says it's the French word navrura. Navrura. They've got a slightly different version, I think, without a dullard. And it says here the related modern French navrer means to grieve or to wound. And the word which appears in some editions, machedura, is not known as a word, which is why that's probably the wrong text. So, um, in other words, the point is, pizzi is a pizza, pizza, pizza is a uh, wound, and chabura, which he doesn't actually translate, is a bruise. What's the difference between a wound and a bruise? It's blunt force versus sharp force. Yes, but uh, yeah, okay, true. Um, and also, but with a bruise, you don't, blood doesn't actually flow. With a wound, does, blood does flow. And it's very clever because it fits in perfectly with the story. So who got wounded and who got bruised? If you remember the story? 
Cain got shot with an arrow. That's the, that's the wound. And uh, Tuval Cain got hit with his hands. That's the bruise. So it really fits very nicely. Now, could we find other explanations? Yes, the other Mephoshim find very different explanations. But Rashi has found an explanation which fits pretty much every word. Then we go on to Pasuk Kafei. I'll remind you that continues Lemech, and he says, Ki shevatayim yukam kain, velemech shivim veshiva. So Kain gets his ending after seven generations. Lemech will be after 77. Says Rashi, Ki shevatayim yukam kain, kain shaharag mezit, nitle lo ad shiva dorot. Kain, who killed deliberately, his punishment was suspended, that's Nitlelo, for seven generations. Ani shaharakti shogeg, I who killed accidentally, lo koshigain, how much more so, shiitale li shiviuyat harbeh, that I will be, my punishment will be suspended for lots of sevens. And just go on, shiviim v'shiva, which we translated correctly as 77, Loshon ribui shiviot achaz lo. An expression of lots of sevens he held. In other words, he doesn't mean literally 77 generations as opposed to 76 or 78. He means um, Kain got waited, Kain's punishment waited seven generations, so mine will wait lots of multiples of seven, which, says Rashi, the Torah describes as shivim v'shiva. Seventies and, sorry, sevens and seven, maybe, rather than 77. Maybe that's what Rashi means. So, yeah, now we understand why, why Lemach is saying something about 77, because he's comparing his situation to Cain, and he's stressing, following on from the way Rashi explained the previous verse, that Cain killed Bermezid deliberately, I killed Beshogeg, therefore, I'm not so bad. Therefore, please don't be so mean to me, and please come back to me. Thus says Rashi, and then Rashi says, Kach Dorash Rabbi Tanchuma. This is what Rabbi Tanchuma, i.e. in the Midrash Tanchuma, is found. Now, by the way, it's not. Um, there are elements of what Rashi is described in the Midrash Tanchuma, but the Rashi, either Rashi has a different text or Rashi himself has ch- filled in many of the gaps. But then Rashi says, Umidrash Bereshit Rabba, but in the Midrash Bereshit Rabba, we have a different version of what's going on here. And I have to say, I have spent a long time trying either to work out or to find a source about why Rashi brings more than one Midrash. And I have failed. I have not found a single source, and I've looked in lots of places, that discusses why Rashi needs two Midrashim. Now, this means either it's not a big deal, but I think it is, or I just haven't looked in the right place, and if I'd looked in one more place, I might have found it. Or... Uh, why might it not be a big deal? So, well, I don't want to give too much away because we're about to read what the second Midrash says, but it's a quite a different approach to what, what's going on between Lemech and his wives. Um, and, and, and I'd like to say there's, as we usually do with Rashi when he brings more than one explanation, there's a deficiency in one which is met in the other and vice versa. Maybe we can possibly see that. Or maybe once he's bringing one Midrash, he wants to give a, a more universal, a comprehensive view, so he brings another Midrash as well. That doesn't really work because that's not Rashi's style. And every time he brings one Midrash, he could have brought half a dozen others, but he doesn't. So I'm not entirely sure why he brings this second Midrash. So let's see what it says. 
Midrash Bereshit Rabbah. Lo harag lemech klum. Lemech didn't kill anybody. But we still assume that he's persuading his wives to come back to him because his wives have separated from him. Now, so Rashi's now going to say why his wife separated from him, and it's a very different answer to what we had before. Just to remind you, before they were cross with him because he killed Cain, he killed Tuvalkain, which obviously is somewhat upsetting for Tuvalkain's mother and Tuvalkain's mother's co-wife. Um, but according to this, it's a different reason altogether because Lemech hasn't killed anybody. Which, by the way, according to the second explanation, the eventual fate of Cain is not known. The first, let's call it the Midrash Shanchumah, the first one, told how Cain met his death, which ends the story of Cain. In the second version, which we'll call Bereshit Rabbah, there's no reference to the end of Cain. That's just left unexplained. Anyway, so, Lo harag lemech klum, nashav parashat mimenu, and his wives separated from him, mishakaimu piria v'rivya, once they had fulfilled the obligation of Peru Uruvu of having children. Lefi shenigzara gezeira lekalot zaro shalkain achar shiva dorot. Because a decree had been decreed to end the descendants of Kain after seven generations, Omru, they said, Ma anu yoledet lebahala. Why should we have children for nothing, tomorrow the flood will come, and will wipe away, wash away everything. Okay, a few things to say. Let's start from the end. They're saying tomorrow a flood's going to come. Now, it might be natural to assume this is talking about the flood, and then it sounds like they're really, I mentioned this last week, but they're really, really living under the shadow of the impending catastrophe. Like, they know it's going to come to the extent that they feel there's no point in having children because these children are going to be wiped out. Um, Rashi, it's not Rashi, the Go'arie and others make the point that this isn't the case. It's not the big flood. Because the big flood was decreed on that generation, the flood generation, and it wasn't decreed before. And we know from the beginning of Parshat Noach, Hashem says, the end of all flesh has come before me now at this point because the people are so wicked. And therefore, it doesn't make sense to say that it had already been decreed. Says the Go'ariya, that's the Maharal, that this refers to a sort of mini-flood, which is mentioned by Rashi in Perak Vav Pasuk Dalat, which we will get to in the course of time, um, which isn't explicit in the Pasuk, but Rashi explains that's what's being referred to or mentioned in Perak Dalad Pasuk, sorry, Perak Vav Pasuk Dalad. So there he says there was a mini-flood before the big flood, and this was the one that the wives of Lemech were afraid of. Next thing to say is, what does it mean they fulfilled the mitzvah of Piriya of having children? So how do you fulfill the mitzvah of Piriya Okay, well, funnily enough, and I actually, maybe funny is not quite the right word, but I think it's, it, it's, it's well, it, I'll tell you what I'm referring to. So someone to point out that, um, the first one, Ada had had two boys, Yoval and Yuval, and... Tzila had a boy and a girl, namely Tuvalkain and Nama. According to Beit Shammai, you fulfill the mitzvah of having children when you have two boys. And according to Beit Hillel, you fulfill the mitzvah of having children when you have a boy and a girl. So between the two of them, they've covered both bases. I find this you know, highly anachronistic. 
that people thousands of years before Beit Hill and Beit Shammai were already aware of the two views. Um, but we sometimes do apply um, Machloka, even Machloka of Tanaim, retroactively and say that, that the dispute between the Tanaim pre-existed the people in the Mishnah actually was a, a much older dispute going back to the time of the Chumash itself. Maybe. Um, the next thing to say is, did they have a mitzvah of Peruravu? Did they have this mitzvah? Any thoughts? I can give you two good reasons why they didn't. Number one, they weren't Jewish. And number two, they weren't male. So what do I mean? So the mitzvah of Peruavarivia is not one of the Sheva mitzvah B'nai Noach. And well, we can ask, had the Sheva mitzvah B'nai Noach been given? As the name suggests, they're given to the generation of Noach. Actually, the Gemara says they were given to Adam Arishon, so that would be okay. Were Peru Ravu having children one of the mitzvah? It isn't. The Mizrahi, in explaining this Rashi, says that there is a source for saying that all nations have the mitzvah of Peru Ravu. After all, that mitzvah, if it is a mitzvah, was given to Adam and Chava, who weren't Jews. So we can say that this mitzvah was given to non-Jews as well. But we also say, according to most, and this is how we paskin, that it's a mitzvah on the man, it's not a mitzvah on the woman. But we know that obviously a woman is a uh, uh, crucial partner, more than that, in the mitzvah of having children. Uh, She's actually absolutely essential to the process. And she gets a reward for helping her husband fulfill his mitzvah, because she's an integral part of it. So maybe we can say that that's what Sila and Ada, well, that's what Rashi means when it says they fulfill the mitzvah of Piru Rivia, they've done their bit for Lemech to fulfill his mitzvah. Now, but we can go further. Um, it's not, although Beit Hill and Beit Shammai say, boy, boy, or boy and a girl fulfills the mitzvah, there's also the mitzvah of populating the world. And that's why people don't stop after two children, because every successive child is still an extra mitzvah. Now, that actually fits very nicely, because it sounds like from Rashi that they hadn't stopped before they fulfilled, if you like, the basic mitzvah. But what they weren't prepared to do is to do the extra mitzvah of populating the world because the world was about to be destroyed. So it makes sense that they said... Okay, we'll do the basic mitzvah according to Beit Hill and Beit Shammai, if we want to use that anachronism. But you want me to, you, you want us to fulfill the extra mitzvah of having extra children for the sake of settling the world. There's no point in that because the world is about to be wiped away. So there's no point in that extra mitzvah, the extra mitzvah of extra children in addition to the first two. Okay, then continues Rashi. What happened next? Vehu amar lahem. Everyone got the place? Uh, so they say, we don't want to have any more children. Vehu amar lahem. And he says to them, and now we're explaining the words, the, the, the obscure words he said in Pasuk Kaf Gimel. Vehi ish haragti lepitzi. Did I kill a man to my wounding? Says Rashi. Vehi ani haragti et hevel. Did I kill hevel? Hevel was a man, an adult, in stature and a child in years. Why was he a child in years? Because he hadn't had any children. So he hadn't like made the leap from one generation to the next. So says Rashi, we can use this Midrash Rabbah to say that Lemech didn't kill anybody 
And he's saying to his wives, I haven't killed anybody. Unlike Cain, I haven't killed Hevel. And then Rashi explains that Ish and Yeled are two facets, both referring to Hevel. I haven't killed Hevel, who was an Ish, and I haven't killed Hevel, who was also a Yeled, unlike Cain, who killed Hevel. And then, so I haven't killed Hevel like Cain did. zari kala avan. Oh, then, sorry. That my seed, my descendants, should be finished off because of that sin. Now, here's the problem, and Rashi's about to say, and I'll tell you now, this is stupid. Uh, Rashi's word, not mine. This is stupid, because if we're saying that there had been a decree, which, by the way, we haven't heard of before, but it sounds like there was such a decree, that all of Cain's descendants would finish off after seven generations. Okay? That's what the wives were... Uh, that was the cloud hanging over the wise, and that's why it says no point in having one or more children. So, Hever, sorry, Lemech is trying to prove that Lemech's descendants won't be wiped out because Lemech hasn't killed anybody. Kain's descendants will be wiped out because Kain did kill someone. But, Hever, sorry, but Lemech didn't kill anyone. Therefore, um, it says, uh, I haven't killed anybody. Again, Sheyehei Zari Kalaba Ota Avim. Umar Kain Shaharag, and Kain, who did kill Nitlalo Shiva Dorot, his punishment was suspended for seven generations. Ani Shalo Haragti, I who haven't killed anybody, Lo Kolshikain, is it not a how much more so? Shiit Lu Li, that my, my punishment will be suspended, Shiviut Harbe, for lots of sevens. And then Rashi says, this is a kavachoma. This is a how much more so argument of nonsense. Now, before we see Rashi, you might have seen Rashi, you might be looking ahead. Why is it nonsense? Because Lamech is Kain's descendant. Exactly. Because Lamech is Kain's descendant. And generation six. And he's generation six, his children, generation seven. Um, but you can't say, if there is a decree that Kain's descendants will finish off, then you can't have one of those descendants said, ah, but I'm not guilty. And therefore, it won't apply to me. Because if it applies to all of Kain's descendants, well, I'm afraid it applies to all of Kain's descendants. So continues Rashi. Zehu kal This is a kal of foolishness. Im kain ein baruchu gova et chovo umakayim et diboro. Because if it were so, then Hashem cannot collect his debt and fulfill his word. What's the debt? The seventh generation, the punishment of Cain. And the promise is, that's what's going to happen. So if there is punishment, if there is um, wiping out, um, which is promised, uh, promise is not quite the right word, but uh, it's going to happen to Cain's descendants, then it cannot make sense for one of Cain's descendants to say, oh, it won't happen to me because I'm innocent. And therefore, I and my children will carry on. So we say to Lebeth, good try if you're trying to get your wives back together with you, but it doesn't make sense. So those are the two approaches of Rashi. Now, in both cases, the wives are separated from him. And perhaps that is what's implied by him speaking to Dafka Neshei Lemech. He's speaking to his wives and he says, listen, your wives you should be doing the wifely thing and you shouldn't refrain from doing the wifely thing. That perhaps is the pointer that it's about the wives are separated from him and he wants them back. 
So approach one, he says, I did kill Cain, which fits in with the prophecy that Cain's going to be killed after seven generations, but it wasn't my fault, and therefore don't blame me. Second approach is nothing to do with killing anybody, but rather um, there's a decree that Cain's descendants will be wiped out at this time. That's why the wives have separated from um, Lemech, and as we explained, they fulfilled the mitzvah, the basic mitzvah of Puru but they had no interest and they saw no point in performing the extra mitzvah of having more children. And Lemech says, no, don't worry, I and my descendants are not going to be wiped out because I didn't kill anybody. I didn't kill Ish or Yeled, which refers to the same person, Hevel, whom Kain killed. But as Rashi says, that is a Kalvachoma Shal Shtut. It's one that doesn't make any sense. Okay. Thus, Rashi explains these two very um, um, obscure pasukim. Didn't Rashi shoot down the second one at the end there? No, he shot down Lemech, but the explanation still stands. Okay. Okay? In the story, Lemech came up with this foolish argument. Ah, okay. okay? But that, that's, that's what Rashi says is happening. Argument. He's shooting down Lemech, but he's, he's not shooting down the shot. So as I say, um, I, I've really been grappling with is there something missing in the first that's rectified in the second or vice, and vice versa? Maybe. Um, but there, there, there must be some reason why Rashi's not satisfied just to bring the Tanchuma, but he brings the Meshit Rabba, Midrash Rabba as well. Um, and I'm not quite sure what it is. Now we go on to Posit Kafhei. And as I said, Rashi sees this as a continuation, even though this is not uh, obscure. Lemech is not in this Pasuk, although Rashi says he is. So again, Posit Kafhei. So, Vayeda Adam. Adam, remember him? So we haven't met him for a while. From the beginning of, or the end of chapter 3, he was exiled from Gan Eden. He went and lived in the east of Gan Eden. He had two children, and the whole of the chapter 4 up till now has been about those two children. So suddenly, Adam comes in the story again. Adam od et ishto. So Adam was intimate od with his wife, the Taylor Ben and they bore a son, the tic, she bore a son, the Tikra et Shemal Shait, which called him Shait, Kishat Li Elohim Zerachet, Tachat Hevel, Ki Harago Kain. So, what does Rashi say? I promised you that this is a continuation. Rashi says, Vayeda Adam, Ba lo Lemech etzel Adam Harishon. Lemech came to Adam Harishon, the Kabal al Nashav, and complained about his wives. Uh, obviously, he's complaining. He says to his uh, ancestor, Adam, I, oi, 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 I've got this problem. My wives have separated from me. And what can I do? So Adam intervened. Amar lahen. Adam said to them, to the wives, al Is it on you to analyze the decrees of Hashem? Atem asu mitzvatchem, v'hu yaaseh et shalom. You do your mitzvah, and he will do his. In other words, well, first of all, does this go with Midrash 1 or Midrash 2? Midrash 2. Okay, as far as I can see, it goes with Midrash 2 only. It's a sort of strike against Midrash 1, or, or this is a continuation of Midrash 2. It doesn't, it's not a continuation of Midrash 1. And it works very nicely. Because what is Adam saying to the wives of Lamech? What are they doing wrong? They're making their own cheshbonot. They're making, uh, sort of trying to uh, uh, game the system 
and the system being what Hashem has decreed. Hashem has decreed that all of Cain's descendants will finish off. So they say, aha, so let's not make any Cain's descendants. That's not what one should do. There is a clear echo, by the way, in this, in a story in the Tanakh, where Chizkiyahu HaMelech had a nevuah that his son was going to be a Russia. Chizkiyahu was a good king. He had a nevuah, but his son was going to be a bad king. So he said, you know what I'm going to do? I won't have any children. Aha, clever, hey? So there'll be no bad king coming from me. So the prophet, Yeshaya, comes to see him and says, that is not the way. You have a mitzvah. You have a mitzvah to have children. You leave the rest to HaKadosh Baruch Hu. And he had a child who was called Menasha, who was very bad, although later, the second half of his life, says the Gemara, he did Teshuvah. So maybe that's how it worked out. Not too bad. So that is what Adam Arishan says to the wives of Lemech. And then... Omrulo, they said to him, Kashut atzmacha techila, literally decorate yourself first. In other words, you are living in a glass house and you shouldn't throw stones. Why? Vahalo parashta meishtacha, ze mea ushloshim shana. You have separated from your wife for 130 years. Misha Niknasa Mita Aliadecha, from when um, it was cursed with death through your hand. Miyat immediately Vayeda Adam. Adam knew, i.e., was intimate with his wife. Okay, what have we explained? We've explained a few things here. First thing to note is there's a good uh, scriptural reason. Why Rashi is uh, entitled to suppose that Kafe is linked to Kaft Kimel and Kafdalot? Because they are part of the same parasha. If you notice, um, however your Chumash works, there's a big Samach after Kaf Vav. What does that Samach mean? It means that's the end of a paragraph. And that starts a new episode. A new paragraph is a good comparison. A Samach means a parasha stuma. And a pei means a pasha patucha, and they refer to the gaps in a sefer Torah. A stuma is a gap um, with words at the beginning of a line and words at the end of a line. It's like a big space in the middle of a line. A patucha is a gap for, with words at the beginning of a line and the rest of a line is empty. And a pasha stuma is roughly like the end of one paragraph and the beginning of another. And a pasha patucha is roughly like the end of one chapter and the beginning of another. It's there are two breaks. Stuma is a little bit smaller break than a patucha. And here we have a stuma at the end of Kafav before Perak Hay Pasuk Aleph. And that clearly shows that Kaf Hay is a continuation of Kaf Dalad because it's in the same paragraph. Whereas if you just read it as a narrative, it sounds like it's a completely unconnected story. Lemech has his trouble with his wives. And then, you know, somewhere else, scene change, Adam is reuniting with his wife. No, says Rashi, one is the continuation of the other. Now, why is one a continuation of the other? Well, it also explains something else. Why had Adam separated from his wife for 130 years? How do we know Adam separated from his wife for 130 years? All we know is he hadn't had children for the 130 years. So the answer is we can assume that Hashem would not have prevented him from having children if he had normal relations with his wife during that time. It doesn't make sense for Adam Arishan um, to be denied children for such a long time if he was with his wife. So the only conclusion that we can draw about why he didn't have children for 130 years is that he had separated from his wife. 
Now, why had he separated from his wife? So it's all there in the story that Rashi fits, puts in, but see how beautifully it fits together. Why had Rashi separated from his wife? Because he knew that after he ate the fruit that death was decreed on his descendants. What do we mean death was decreed on his descendants? Well, it's not quite clear. I don't want to go back and revisit all the whole story of the Eitzachayim and the Eitzadat, but on the, as Hashem said, on the day you eat from the fruit, you will die. Death came into the world in a way that it hadn't been there before. So in some way that now Adam has eaten from the fruit, that means descendants that he has are going to die. Eventually, at the end of their days, but that's, that's not nice. Now, why is this really clever of Rashi? Because now Adam is exactly in the same situation as the wives of Lemech, according to the second Midrash. Why did the wives of Lemech not, have ch- not, not want to be with Lemech? Because any children that they have are going to die. So they're entitled to say precisely to Adam, don't accuse us of trying to game the system and not have children because they're going to die. You are doing exactly the same thing. And this explains why the response is, Vayeda Adam et od et ishto. So Rashi has beautifully explained by a midrash on Kaf A, if you like, which matches the midrash on Kaf Dalet, which fits together as one really nice whole and shows how Kaf A is related to Kaf Dalet. And I also want to say that the whole midrash that he brought on Kaf Dalet, it's not just to explain Kaf Dalet, it's also to explain the link with Kaf A, as we've just seen. Continues Rashi on the word uh, Mahu Od. What is meant by Od? Now, the question is strange because we often have something about they had old another child. Um, uh, Leah, for instance, in Pasha's Vayetze, um, 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 uh, she has Reuben, Shimon, Levi, Yehuda, and we read over and again she had Reuben, Vaod, and furthermore she had Shimon, Vaod, and then she had Levi, etc. Rashi here is not satisfied just to say that Adam had another child. He had Cain, he had Hevel, and then he, Od, he had again another child. Rashi says, I don't like that. And he says, Mahu Od, Lulamdecha, to teach you, Shinatosefa lo taiva al taiva to. That his, there was desire added onto his original desire, which is rather nice. I think it's rather like romantic that he desired Chava originally, and now he desired her even more. So the question is, why doesn't he just say Od in its usual sense of they had relations again and they had another child? So I saw two possible answers. One, what's the difference with Leah and Adam and Chava? When Leah has another child, there's a crucial difference between that case and this case. That in Leah's case, they happened in quick succession. Sounds like if you look at the, uh, the possible range of dates and the ages of uh, Yaakov's children, it must mean she got pregnant almost straight after giving birth. So she gives birth and she gets pregnant almost straight away. Unlike Adam, who's waited 130 years. So one answer to the question of why Od can't have its usual meaning is you can't say they had a child and Od, they had another child after a 130-year gap. Another explanation, which is a little bit more philosophical, is that this, these relations between Adam and Chava was totally different to the time he'd had relations before. Why was it totally different? Totally different, incompatible. What's changed? What's happened between the two instances? Anyone? They've eaten from the fruit. So the whole world, the universe has changed. 
Uh, and you can see this in many ways. And the simplest, perhaps, is there's now a Yetzirah, which means sexual relations have a whole new meaning. And we talked about this, and Rashi talked about this, before they ate from the fruit, sexual relations was something they did in public because it wasn't in any way shameful. After they ate from the fruit, they hid because they were naked. It's a whole different world. And the nature of sexual relations is totally different. So you can't compare, you can't say, this is just another episode that they've had before. It's totally, qualitatively incompatible. So that's why... What, those two explanations, or maybe others, that's why Rashi says we can't use odd in the normal sense here, so we have to find another meaning of odd. Old as in more, old as in yet further. So his desire for her was added, there was desire added compared to the uh, desire he had before. Okay, um, let's look at the next Pasuk, and then I think we'll finish that tonight, and that'll be a good place to stop. Pasuk Kafav, Ulashet Gamhu Yulad Ben. And Shait also, he, to him, was born a son. For ye cross Shemo, et Shemo, Enosh. And he called his name Enosh. Oz huchal likro b'shem Adonai. Then they began, or it was began, to call with the name, on the name of Hashem. Now, by the way, if you just jump to Pasuk uh, Gimel. Yeah, Pasuk Gimel uh, in the uh, ahead. Hey, Pasuk Gimel. You read, Adam Adam lived for 130 years, get 130, and he begat in his image and in his likeness, and he called his name Shait. So there, in Perak Hapos Gimel, is a description of Adam having a child called Shait. What does that tell us about our Pasuk Kaf Hay that we read a moment ago? Okay, since we're running out of time, I'll tell you. It tells us that that whole Pasuk Kaf Hay is superfluous. We don't need Pasuk Kaf Hay to tell us that Adam had a child called Shait, because we get that in Perak Hay Pasuk Gimel. Therefore, why do we need Pasuk Kaf Hay? As an introduction to the next Pasuk. No. Well, okay, that would work. To but emphasize. No. As a conclusion to the previous Pasuk, as the continuation of the Lemech story, as Rashi put it. Okay, that we need it there in Pasuk Perak Dalad Kaf Hay because it's the, as Rashi explains, it's the continuation of the Lemech story. That's why it's there. Because Lemech went to Adam and Adam responded. It's not there to tell us, oh, by the way, Adam had a son because that's going to come next. Okay, back to Kaf Vav. So I jumped ahead there. Rashi says on Kaf Vav, on the words, Oz Huchal. Now, most texts, in fact, every text I saw except one that I came across just now, has two words here. Loshan Chulin. That huchal doesn't just mean began, but it has, if you like, a deeper meaning of chulin, which means profane, which means non-holy. Now, I did see one text that said that those two words are not in the original manuscripts, and it makes much more sense to read them without. So we're going to read them with and without. Oz huchal, then it was began, but Rashi says loshen chulin, it's got an expression of non-holy, more worse than that, desecration. On the words, Likra B'Shem Hashem, then it was begun to call by the name of Hashem. Says Rashi, Likra et Shemot HaAdam ve'et Shemot HaAtzavim bishmo Shalakadosh Baruch Hu. What, what began then? To call the names of people and the names of idols by the name of HaKadosh Baruch Hu. La'asotan avodazara, to make them into idolatry. Ulekratan elokot, alahut, 
and to call them gods. Now, I'm going to have to rush this, um, but what, what, uh, uh, take out Lashon Chulim for a moment. Rashi is simply saying, uh, translate Chuchal in its normal way as meaning they began, but Likral B'Shem Hashem, to call by the name of Hashem, is to call idols by the name of Hashem and also to call people by the name of Hashem, basically to make people or idols into gods and to take away from the greatness of Hashem. Or you can say, it's not a crucial difference, it's just different to how you read the Rashi, that Rashi is stressing with the words Lashon Chulin that Huchal doesn't really mean began, or certainly doesn't just mean began, but it means there was an element of non-Kudusha or even a desecration that came into the world Dathkar at this point. So either Rashi's explained the word Huchal as Lashon Chulin, or if you take out those two words, Rashi is explaining Likra B'Shem Hashem. And the problem is this. Who else is calling out in the name of Hashem, for instance? If you glance at Perak Yud Bet, Pasuk, Chet, Yud Bet Chet, talking about Avraham. Avraham pitches his tent and he goes around Eretz Yisrael and the last three words of that verse, Vayikra B'Shem Hashem. Avraham called out in the name of Hashem. Good or bad? Good or bad? Good. Okay? That's very good. Avraham's teaching the world about Hashem. That's what Avraham does. Now, we have the same words here. Az Hashem. Hashem. Does that mean the generation of Enosh, the grandson of Adam, everyone starts calling out in the name of Hashem like Avraham? Rashi says it's idols by the name of Hashem. But notice he takes exactly the same words, which is something very good in the time of Avraham, and he makes it something very bad in the time of Enosh. Because it doesn't make any sense to say that Enosh and his generation were mini Avrahams. Because everything we read about what happens next is bad, bad, bad. At the end of, Peric, uh, end of this Perak, Bad things happen. And then there's a flood. It doesn't make any sense to say good things were happening. And therefore Rashi has to explain Likra B'Shem Hashem in a totally different way to the way he does it with Avraham. So Likra B'Shem Hashem is to call people and idols by the name of Hashem, which is a desecration of Hashem's name. We will stop there. It's 9.30 and we're going to Marev. Now is the time to go. See you next week.